And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous Starship captain once said, and as another famous Starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always, that's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now... Let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. We are going to dive into what is my, one of my favorite, favorite moments in Star Trek this week. We're diving into Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan, 3, The Search for Spock, 4, The Voyage Home, and in particular, what topic are we exploring today, Larry? It's almost like it's a trilogy. It is. It is. (laughs) It's like, to me, it's like the first, well, I mean, the motion picture has a lot of moments and a lot of fans, but it's like, to me, it's like that, that trilogy defines the Star Trek movie experience and the needs of the many out need outweigh the needs of the one or the few, um, or the few or the one. Anyway, that's like such a classic movie trope, and it's so attributed to the Wrath of Khan, and then people forget about how it spilled over into the other two follow-ups as well, especially three. But um, yeah, it's a it's a line that you say that, and people immediately think of Star Trek. I know it has has roots in you know literature and and folklore before that, but it's such a Star Trek moment, and it really after the motion picture was kind of I don't want to say wobbly. But after people weren't totally satisfied with the motion picture, it really helped define the Star Trek cinema experience, if you mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, to get things started, uh, let us know what is what moment do you think from Star Trek two, three, and four is most relevant to our lives right now in 2020. There's so huh. many moments to draw from there. I think you could go at so many different angles. So I'm, I'm super excited to see how people are going to respond to that. So what moment do you think resonates from this trilogy that's all about the needs of the many, outweighing the needs of the one um, or the few or or not, as Kirk told us at the end of Star Trek Three. Um, gosh, so much to explore today. We should, and we should remind everybody: Hey, if you're with us live right now, this is great. If you're after uh, later on, thanks for joining us later. Um, maybe you can be with us live because right now, when you're live, we've got the chat open on all of our channels. I'm waiting for our first Twitch person to show up. If that's <laughs> <laughs> there is one viewer, one viewer who keeps tuning in on Twitch. So welcome to our one person Welcome on to our Twitch in, in Twitch South uh, South uh, Antarctica. <laughs> um, but on YouTube at the Psych Show, on Facebook at Larry Nimbachek's Trekland, um, there uh, you have the Psych Show spot on Facebook as well. Yep. yep. Um, I'm going to turn my YouTube channel on one of these days. But come wherever you're coming from, come to us live, chat, and then also 
Now, we need to explore this some more because we may be having some glitches with it. Sure. But supposedly, you can join us on camera yes. the way Brian did on our first episode yeah. on Skype at Life Support Host. You can be this uh, a third person here. You can t- you can join in by video chat. Um, you can also join in by audio chat. We'd love to see you if possible. We'll be having that at the end. But we'd also love to have you in audio. And uh, you can also comment uh, below or to the side, depending on wherever you are. I think everywhere it's below. You can comment below. Um, I want to do one of those. Yes. Yeah. I never Our one viewer from Twitch. Um, rise, rise, uh, uh, Racelin 53. Hi, Larry. It's Boyd. I am the one viewer on Twitch. Ha ha ha. And the iconic viewer, the, the iconic no image, uh, avatar for Twitch there reminds me of the Will Rogers dog iron brand. There you go. Okay. That was obscure. I know, but I can't help it. <laughs> but bizarre. on brand for you, Larry, but that is on brand for you. <laughs> Other brand. Uh, but that's awesome. Boyd. Now we know. We have a face <laughs> almost to a name. Okay. So um, what we are doing here, we're going to roll into our first segment. Um, we just want to say hi to everyone. Um, Anika, I want to say hello. Even though you haven't seen a single episode of Star Trek, we are happy to have you here. Um, hey. We are so many, so many great people. Uh, Gerard, welcome back. It's so great to see you here, see you here week after week. Rebecca, welcome. Uh, you're late, but you're on time because we, we started a few seconds late as well. So it's all good. It's all good. It's, we, a, little, it's a little cross pond, and Rebecca's across the pond <laughs> coming in. So is Christoph is in Austria. Some of these are my portales and my Trek Clan Tuesdays folk. Um, I recognize, and there's some new folks too. So yay to everybody. Libby is back here. Um, there's a 10 second delay between the platforms. Yes, it is. It is like mm-hmm. a time anomaly. <laughs> so welcome back to the familiar faces. If this is your first time here, we're happy to have you here. Uh, Larry, what do we do on life support? What What the heck is this all about? Well, come on. You know what life support is. We I have- know what it is. Do they know what it is? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we have a mission, Ali. What yes. is our mission? Our mission is to have an exploration of how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. Just as a famous Starship captain once said, and just as another famous Starship captain once said, along the way, we're going to have a little fun. So we're going to have fun. We're going to talk about Star Trek. We're going to talk about how can how it can help us and um, help us navigate all the stuff that we're going through because we're, we're all going through a ton of stuff. So um, let's let's go into um, the briefing room. Let's let's talk about this. So Larry, um, we are talking about the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. So I, I think we should jump into Wrath of Khan here. Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Um, help us understand where this massively iconic phrase where it comes from in story and also maybe behind the scenes if you have any tidbits for us for how how this it's, emerged yeah the uh the the Rathacon story which now is amazing it's it's a lot like uh the best and the best things in life or the best things in star trek the best things are the things that have the most you know mulligan stew origins the the most um uh, you know, the mix, <laughs> the mixed mutt breed is the best dog kind of things, uh, situation sometimes. Because the Rathacon story came from like five different scripts that they weren't happy with, that different writers had given. And Nick Meyer, 
when he br- was brought in to direct and knew very little about Star Trek, which is another one of the amazing stories about Wrath of Khan, which goes now, now to be the bar. Everyone yeah, of any yeah. era, it's the bar that people ascribe to still. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as everything, plot, structure, villain, enjoyment. Gosh, the score. Oh, my gosh, I love the score, yeah, yeah. the uniforms, the design, everything about that film. But it's, yeah. it had such a troubled start, and Nick Meyer goes in, doesn't even get credit. He's like, oh, you know, damn it, just, just let's get a movie and go with it. I don't care about ego and guild rules and whatever. And he pulls the story together, and they it's basically what we know of. And the roots of all those different stories had pieces that got pulled from, and Savick is in one, and the Genesis device is in another. And But that... That overall arc, um, that what we think of now, the needs of the many outweigh the needs. It's basically there's a time to think of everybody. There's a time to think of yourself or there's a time to think of one. There's a time to sacrifice and there's a time to, uh, you know, that's the best thing, which is the ultimate story of Wrath of Khan is the sacrifice that Spock dies. Mm. And the movie went into the into the tank with you know Leonard Nimoy's just like. Brent Spiner did with Nemesis. It was like, okay, we're done with this character. Let's kill it off. And if we're going to do that, let's um, let's go out with a bang. We'll be mm-hmm. we'll be very cinematic. And that was the initial point of of, of course that the movie was so well done that Leonard's like, oh, okay, maybe let me think about this again. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the thing, uh, I mean, the context here is we had Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which was a very expensive uh film that took the what was going to be star trek phase two a new tv show and it took ideas from that and uh was trying to in some ways compete with star wars paramount was looking at the success of star wars and saying like do we have anything like this let's put it on big screen and so star trek phase two got turned into this pilot and but star trek the motion picture was i think it's amazing um the idea that we just humanity just sent out the Voyager probe and it coming back. I think that was a, an incredibly um, amazing idea to explore in science fiction. It wasn't quite the success they were looking for, though, the commercial success. Am I right in saying that, Larry? Well, it, it, it was a mulligan stew, too, times 10. To, you know, compared to <laughs> and, but it had all the emotional baggage of the 70s. It had the emotional baggage of the first Star Trek rebirth. It was a big political animal, you know, and it had a lot of emotional – Roddenberry's stature tied up with just the studio wanting to do something. And the whole world scrambling. It's amazing that Star Wars wouldn't have gotten done, financed, if not for Star Trek. Yeah. And yet it was Star, it was like a cyclical thing that Star, Star Wars kicked in the whole sci-fi boom to put the point where yes, Paramount was like, we've got, we've got to do something. We, oh, we got that thing that we've been playing footsie with for 10 years about having a rebirth in some form. Fine. Let's, let's pull the plug on that little series and we'll make it a movie. And then it became such a thing. Then it was a case of, and then they had a, a, a visual effects debacle in the middle of that where they yeah. had to change people. And it was a, one of those cases of quick, keep throwing money at it <laughs> until we finally birth the damn thing. And not, a, not unlike Discovery. <laughs> well, and, and this, I mean, there's so many themes here that keep replaying the connection between Star Trek and Star Wars. We see that now decades later with J.J. Abrams really perfecting his craft on Star Trek 2009, Star Trek Into Darkness, taking that Star Wars, The Force Awakens. There's so many connections here between the franchise, and we could do the whole episode on 
Gene Roddenberry, George Lucas, and how they were actually friends and colleagues before like these franchises became these things that you, you couldn't mm-hmm. talk about. But uh, what uh, uh, the reason I wanted to bring that up is the motion picture was like massively expensive, big sets, so many. Um, it was a movie. Yeah, it was a huge tentpole event, and Wrath of Khan is a very intimate story with not a ton of sets. It's submarine warfare. It's, um, it's iconic in so many ways, but it's such a, um, it's a very TV movie, which is how it started. Yeah. 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 Scope was pulled back to being a big TV movie. And then it, and then it kind of leapt off the screen and they went, Oh, okay. Then we'll elevate parts of it. But they went into it with a very, we got to recover from this bloated, Situ- you know, and it, don't blame everything on Robert Wise or Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. They all the costs of ten years of developing that playing footsie with Star Trek's rebirth. Yeah, through all those incarnations, all those costs got dumped on the motion picture. So when they yep. say, "Oh, the motion picture cost X amount of money," it was millions of millions. All the scripts that had been written for Phase Two, the series, got the, all the sets that were built and then scrapped were thrown into the motion picture. Yeah, so. Yeah, you know, but which, still, which it was t- a satisfying outcome, and the Wrath of Khan. I mean, the basic, you know, the tagline I think for Wrath of Khan for most people was, "Now that's more like it." <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, it's 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 so funny. This is not the motion picture episode, but we're still living with all the work that was done with the motion picture um the design one possible design for the enterprise became the star trek Disco- uh, the uss discovery design mm-hmm. and the theme for the motion picture became the theme for the next generation which we heard again in star trek picard so all of these things keep going around and around it's it's all the circle of life it's you know um everything's happened before and will happen again it's all this stuff. But 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 we're here for Wrath of Khan. So, um, the needs True. of the many, Larry, had we heard anything like this before Wrath of Khan from Vulcan lore, Vulcan, Vulcan teachings? Had we heard anything like that in the original series? Not really. The ba- I mean, the, the big Vulcan thing was, of course, Eddick, Infinite Diversity, Infinite Combination. Uh, it, everything Vulcanish was more that that way everything was about moods and emotions and the lack of emotion, the stifling of emotion, 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 bad, uh, emotion. We almost blew ourselves up, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, everything was down that way with Vulcan. And then the, the parts of Vulcan that were, that were a little mystical, like, you know, self healing, Mm -hmm. you know, and what, okay, what's the new piece of Vulcan physiology we need to trot out this week for the MacGuffin? You know, like, right, right. Oh, in eyelid. Oh, the heart is down here. I mean, you know. Oh, there we have super strength. Those kinds of things. So this philosophy of uh, needs the many, needs outweigh, outweigh the one or the few is is kind of Vulcanish, but they it never gets really set in stone. It really kind of uh, it really kind of I don't want to say becomes generic, but um, anyway, it's and it's kind of you know the about the time the movie is all caught up with the aging theme mm-hmm. and. We're going to introduce these new characters and then this Genesis device and and weaponry and con and bringing back. I mean, people are all there are so many throwbacks and callbacks that that sacrificial arc kind of comes out of no. It's like the sum of all the parts. And then when you get down to the end, it's like, oh, 
oh no, <laughs> if you hadn't heard the spoiler, because this movie was big time spoiled, and there was a huge anti, we hate this movie, if you kill off if Spock. If you kill Spock, yeah. Right, there, there was a big old-time fan uh, marketing effort, and they did a professional survey and said, your box office will drop 23, I'm making these numbers up, 23% in your licensing revenue will, you know, from merchandise will drop 42% if you kill off Spock and your future movies will be nil. And there was really a big amount, it's hard to imagine this now, but there was a huge, given the, you know, foresight at the time, no one knew there would be a third movie and they'd bring him back and then yeah. Leonard would change heart. And no one, fans didn't get it that Leonard wanted this. That's what's yeah. hysterical about it. Yeah. They thought it was paramount you know throwing its weight around and, and trying to kill off star or they're going to go off and hire a bunch of kids to come in and you know recast the roles or something <laughs> that that'll happen later that that was a few decades that, away at that, that point be, or, or still to come <laughs> but uh, but yeah i mean we have to you have to put yourself back in the mindset of the fan that you know you talk about fan ownership the people that brought it back after 10 years it's like guys you wouldn't be making this money if it wasn't for us you wouldn't have these jobs if it wasn't for us so <laughs> that's all in the mix that now sitting back here 54 years later and in 47 different spinoff you know sir it's hard to put yourself back in that mindset yeah. of where star trek and fandom and the and the and the suits and the bean counters were at the time but yeah so everybody was really happy with ratha khan including leonard changed his mind they even filmed the bit at the end, the little tag at the end of the coffin rest, the photon Remember. torpedo coffin resting in uh, Golden Gate Park. Oh, 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 the coffin, the very, very end of that. Oh, that was something added in later. Oh, yeah, last minute. Yes, after they did the focus groups. And it ends huh. with him dying. And and they're on the bridge. You know, uh, he'll always live as long as we remember. It. And that was all in there. Yeah. But still, the focus group audiences were coming out like just depressed as hell. Yeah, the um the the remember no, bit. One got it at the time how it would affect people. So that all the whole coffin and, and Golden Gate Park with the the hint of what's to come. Yeah, um, yeah, the whole remember thing was just they threw that in in case they ever wanted to use it again, and then okay. they just very quickly decided, oh hell yeah, we want to use it again. Yeah. <laughs> And so what's yeah. so, there's there's so many layers to this that I want to explore like um it's funny because they added in the Kobayashi Maru bit to try and give people a bit of a um distraction like oh Spock dies but yeah no that only happens in that first scene right. yeah like no you heard wrong um so it's it's just so fascinating that moment as it relates to fandom which is a topic we're going to explore on life support um in the near future but then you have the search for Spock you have more money more budget you see an expansion of mm -hmm. Starfleet that beautiful Starbase that is reused over and over and over again. Um, we see the Excelsior. We see it is a bigger story that's told, but it's a story that kind of flips, flips things around. If Wrath of Khan is about, um, life and death and, and revenge and love of, of your friends and sacrifice and, and serving this mission, um, Search for Spock is about sacrificing so many of these things for the people you care about. All of our characters, uh, Uhura, Sulu, Scotty, Bones, Kirk, they're all sacrificing their careers. They're giving it all up for the mm -hmm. chance of saving Spock, of bringing him 
back. Well, I don't know if it's bringing him back or saving him. I don't know how we define that. Um, the Genesis planet does weird things. Um, but it, it flips a lot of those ideas around. It's like, to me, it's like looking at the, the binoculars of the telescope through the other end. Yeah. Mm. We're, we're, we're at the con, which is the, which gosh, maybe that was the intention. <laughs> it, it all seems so like pre-planned in this if you look at it from a 2020 mm-hmm. lens like oh of course they planned this trilogy but no it just, none of this was pre-planned yeah yeah and uh and then you get into four which yeah. was gosh these first two have been so heavy with death life and death and you know the universe at stake well okay well not the universe the earth is at stake in four and they let's go on this light-hearted time travel romp you know, which still only has the future of, you know, humanity on Earth at yeah. stake. You know, but still they underpin it with this, uh, with this romp. And, um, it, why, but it comes back to they actually sum up, they keep using the, you know, the Genesis recording is still used. The recording of, of Kirk and Spock dying. I mean, it all still comes back to the crew being put on trial for yeah. Kirk and people for this, those sacrifices they made. That was more than just it's more than just a literary illusion. Now it's going to be it's going to run up against Federation Starfleet law, and of course only in Hollywood or the twenty fourth century twenty third century version of Hollywood they go okay charges dismissed you're also <laughs> and oh. here's a ship for you by the way we're demoting you but it's actually the job you really want um, right. and we right. just happen to have a brand new refit um. I right hear Enterprise here for you ready to right. go I love it um but it it. Isn't it amazing that this idea of Voyage Home, you know, it's, it's connecting to ideas about um, conservation of the, of, of the planet, of species, and that our whole fate relies on these whales. It's the needs of the many are completely dependent on the needs of the few. You know, it's, it's, um, it's amazing how this theme plays out. So this is something you and I, Larry, have been going back and forth about this whole week is what does this mean to you? The needs of the many outweighs the needs of the few or the one. Uh, so I want to I want to ask you because I've been kind of deflecting this conversation because I want to have it here on life support. So what does it mean to you? In this era, that in this crisis that we're going in, there's no Genesis device about to go off, but we are all we're all struggling here in this crisis. Well, what does the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few I, mean to you? I might disagree. There, we hmm. might have this. We, it might be a Genesis device on a much longer fuse, hmm. on a much longer ticker. But I think, um, well, you, okay. Let me even let me even duplicate that. Duplicate? Oh wow, that's duplicate weird. is uh, it's like you just tech the tech here on life support. <laughs> I, I just tech the tech. No, let me just amplify that one though. I was about to say <laughs> that you you could say that the whole pandemic, the whole uh, coronavirus pandemic, is the genesis device on a slow motion timer. Hmm. You know, it's more than thirty seconds later. Poof. I mean, I'm skipping into doomsday machine there but uh but then but then people keep talking about the coronavirus pandemic and our reactions to it and our dealing with it coping with it that whole phenomenon is it in itself a slow motion version of the whole climate crisis Hmm. and people saying that i mean people who are unable to look at data and numbers and what 99.9 percent of scientists say and have been saying for 30 40 years if that's too slow motion for you (laughs) 
<laughs> the same thing is happening in real time almost here with the pandemic. Again, it's not on a 30-second – we're not in a Hollywood you know, ticking clock 24-hour scenario here. But it's much the, – the time compression is now where more people get it. Right. And you still have reactions. You've got the Doubting Thomas kind of reaction to things. Um, that's the climate crisis situation only compressed. And yeah. the same arguments follow and people saying, okay, if you can't get what, what – if climate crisis is happening too slowly for you, although talk to the people in Miami and, and uh, Venice, you know, yeah. uh, rising water or whatever – if that's too slow motion for you, it's all the same. We're not seeing the virus in operation, you know, with our own eyes, but we're seeing the results. And and we have a prescription here. We have people telling us what to do based on fact, observation, theory, testing. Um, we, we have the ultimate testing and, and, and outcomes to get to with a cure or at least better treatments. But for right now, it's not like we have no playbook. And it's not like we haven't right. seen this before. And it's not like we haven't attacked pandemics that – Thankfully, you know, Ebola or H1N1 or SARS or MERS, we've been there and, and we bit the bullet before. But now here's we're back into Spanish flu days. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we were supposedly a lot smarter than we were 100 years ago, but you wouldn't know it sometimes. I mean, in some ways, yes, in some ways, no. Um, I, I, I see where you're saying here. Um, and as you were talking, I was just thinking about the themes here. There's a, a, a strong theme with, um, the way we treat animals as well, tying into Star Trek four, the voyage home. Um, mm-hmm. part of the reason why, you know, what's, what's so scary about the coronavirus is it, it reminds me of how many viruses exists out there in the animal kingdom that we are completely oblivious to, we have no knowledge of, we've never been exposed to, because they exist out there with wild animals that usually don't interact with humans. But as humanity pushes further and further into the space of these wild wildlife, we're more likely to encounter their viruses. And as we poach and as we um, eat and bring those animals into our space, we're also more likely to encounter them. That's where a lot of these novel viruses come from. They come from us interacting with animals that we shouldn't really be interacting with. So there's, there's a connection there between... Um, and when you say novel viruses, you don't mean novels of viruses that were like made up for fiction. No, before. no, that would be the macrophage and Star Trek Voyager. Not talking about that, although I love how novel, much. Novel virus is a term as well. <laughs> yeah, new viruses we, we haven't encountered before. They come from our interactions with animals that we shouldn't really be having. Um, that's likely where where the coronavirus came from, mm-hmm. this COVID-19 virus. So there's a connection here to Star Trek IV and, um, and conservation and, and the way we interact and respect and treat animals. Um, well, the, and the entire environment. Yeah, the it, entire environment. It, yeah. It's almost like it's interlinked or something. <laughs> uh, Libby had a great comment here. To me, it means you must consider others' safety, health, and needs. I'm a Methodist, and it compares to our saying, paraphrase, do all the good you can for all the people you can for as long as you can. Mm. Um, I think that's a really great way to summarize this. And there was another great comment here. Mentioned the chat, everybody. I was just, we've kind of like not been watching the chat. I've been sc- uh, scrolling back, and there are some awesome 
including our one viewer from Twitch. Yeah, uh, our Twitch viewer, uh, yes, you can watch last week's DS9 episode yeah. on Trekland, uh, Larry Nemechek's Trekland, or the Psych Show. We, we have it archived. Uh, there's mm-hmm. another comment here about um, shelter, the needs of the many, meaning sheltering in place. Um, yeah, doing- that's the... That's the big one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, do you want to talk about that, Larry? Because that was that was a place where well, you kept going in our conversation. Right. I mean, the first, the first, the first thought about uh, the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few or the one. To me, right now, the strikes is how, and people talk about you know we talk about the heroes and celebrating the heroes, and it keeps rippling down. People think of the medical frontline workers, mm-hmm. and then it's like, well, now wait a minute. Let's think about all the grocery retailers and the people that still work at re- and pharmacy, you know, drugstore p- people or chemists, as they say across the pond. Um, but the people that are in retail that are still doing essential services that way, well, then back that up. How about the delivery people that yeah. are supplying groceries and medicines and the truck drivers and the local delivery people and the, and even the, uh, the, the restaurants that are, you know, all of our local businesses that are struggling to survive, but they're making the sacrifice. I mean, they're being legally ordered in many way, in many cases, but people that are making the sacrifice bottom line, everybody at home doing that for taking a financial hit mm-hmm. and suffering, but they're doing it in charge of the greater good, in mm-hmm. charge of the needs of the many, because they want to have eventually have an audience. They want to eventually have a customer base <laughs> yeah. that's not decimated by a pandemic. I mean, you know, the, the, it, it ultimately serves them. It's just really, really hard in the short term to think about the needs of the many. And most people, given facts, given the situation and giving, you know, again, versus climate science, which has left a lot of people only to look at real numbers until recently now we're seeing polar bears on ice flows more and more i mean it's getting easier to see tragically but this is in real time and people get it and so i think most i don't know 60 70 80 percent of the polls around the world um people get it and they're happy to support they're not happy but they know there's there's no choice but yet we still have a chunk of people that see it as a it's a blight on their freedom yeah i don't tell me what I want to go out and kill myself. Damn it. I got, you know, you're always going to have that percentage, but that's, that's basically what's the crux of the needs of the many. Yeah. And, and, and that's something I want to explore when you get into the counselor's log in, in just a moment here. Um, but that is there. You, you mentioned it so well here that this is, we're talking about the public good and we're talking about public health and we're talking about what is going to help all of us, to survive, which doesn't just mean the coronavirus and and reduce infection from coronavirus and deaths related to the coronavirus, but it also means preserving our healthcare system. That if our healthcare system is overrun by this, it is going to be obliterated. Our healthcare force, our resources are going to be obliterated. And then if you if you run into some kind of other health problem down the road, the resources might not be there uh, to help you out. It's about preserving those resources. It's about um, trying to keep our way of life going and meaning we all have to sacrifice in some way, whether it's sheltering at home or our essential workers or keeping society moving forward. There's so many pieces to that. And, um, 
And some of us are experiencing the needs of the one outweighing the needs of the many, where we might be prioritizing and trying to help someone who um, who needs more help than than others. Um, I know there's a lot of people here who are going out of their way to try to get groceries for someone who might be in a high risk category and can't do it themselves, or is going out of their way to try to um, um, help people in terms of healthcare, health people in terms of supplies. There's so much people are doing to try to help people that they're very close to. So I want to explore this stuff. Are we? Can we? Can we open up the doors? And uh, well, you don't open the doors in the counselor's log can we can we um press the button on the pad for the counselor's log let's do that yeah enough of this away <laughs> i'm 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 if my eyes are diverted i'm busy catching up here on the on the chat because there's so many comments people are somewhere between the movie plots and mm. ramifications and and what we've just been talking about so um you you push the button on the counselor's log and uh so- I'm, I'm gonna pitch this so the there's a few themes here that that leap out to me in terms of mental health uh, and in terms of psychological science. So one of the things about the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few that I see from the Wrath of Khan is the connection to meaning and service and purpose. If we look at why. Why does Spock do what he do- does in Wrath of Khan? Why does he give up his own life for the Enterprise? It, I mean, you can say, well, it, it kind of makes sense. He's like saving the ship, right? But I, I think it's something deeper than that. And it really gets to the existential thing about Starfleet. Starfleet is about, um, we have the mission statement right there. That's something that's so beautiful about Star Trek. We know exactly what it's about. Um, space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. That is Starfleet. That is Star Trek. That's the mission. And, what we see throughout Wrath of Khan from the Kobayashi Maru to the very end is this theme about we serve each other, we help each other to promote this mission. And sometimes that means we have to make the ultimate sacrifice. But the mission is more important than any one person. And this is, this is something in psychology that we would, we would call, um, a meaning or sense of purpose. Connection to something that's larger than yourself. It, it seems to be the really important thing here is to be, um, to believe that you are working towards something that is larger than yourself and you're connected to people and advancing this thing that is going to live on after you're gone. It's, it's really interesting. The research that's been done here is when people are connected to that meaning and purpose, they're able to do more than, um, and, and be happier than they would otherwise. Uh, there's interesting research that's been, uh, done on janitors that when janitors, think they're just cleaning up and um, and getting rid of garbage and keeping things running. Um, they're not as flourishing in their lives as when they think that they are an essential part of this larger operation. Like if they're a janitor in a hospital, that they're helping people recover, they're saving lives, that I'm doing my part to serve this larger thing. 
And it's not just serving um, this larger thing and meaning, but for Spock and I think for Kirk and for um, uh, everyone we see in Ra- in um, the voyage home too, these beliefs and ideas become what's called a sacred belief, a sacred value. And we think of sacred, the word, and we think religion, but there's a lot of secular ideas that we all might find sacred. In America, freedom of speech is considered a sacred value, a sacred belief, that something that you should fight for, um, something that you can't compromise on, something that you can make the ultimate sacrifice sacrifice to defend against and sometimes sacred beliefs can be exploited for violence and we see that often with terrorism but sometimes they can be used for noble acts of of heroism as we see with spock that it is more important for me to protect my crew to protect the mission the enterprise than it is to than than my life and we see that with kirk being willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, his career, the enterprise, to help the person he loves. And we see that again in Voyage Home. Like, let's give him the transparent aluminum formula because this is way more important. It's way more important to protect the future. We have to make these yeah. these sacrifices. Can, so, I, can I? Yeah, well, please, I was, please. I was going to say, there's all, there's all kinds of layer. We think about the needs, the many needs, the one as, as about the, the Spock plot, mm-hmm. right? And everyone's reaction. But there are all kinds of multiple. You start to touch on them there. But there are some multiple um, levels to different characters, and a lot of the guest characters. And I, we had a we had a micro discussion on the other side of the room beforehand about the women characters mm-hmm. here and the guest Savic um, being very by the book and coming and having it be a growth for her. But but Jillian in four starts off being she has an arc too, and she's very possessive of the whales, and she needs to be because they need an advocate. But um, but then when they're stolen, you know, she doesn't know Kirk's holy mission, his sacred mission, and she's pissed about it. But then she's quickly on board when she gets, you know, what it's all about. Mm-hmm. But, but she's so she's it's almost like she sacrifices her her possession, her, her not possession, but her um, her ownership in a good way. What I'm trying to say here, her, her motherhood, <laughs> her maternal instinct to protect the whales is sacrificed to see that she's still protecting them, but now she can protect a lot more whales yeah. that never were. Yeah. I mean, it's like once, but it's again, it's like the awareness that comes in. It's easy to, to be sacrificing and, and self-sacrificial when you have a big picture. You, you have the facts. A- absolutely. And, and that also explains why some people are fighting to end sheltering and um, and all of these things that might not be for the public good because it ties back into your sacred beliefs and your identity. Um, this is why stories are so powerful and ideas are so powerful that when those when those things that we hold sacred are activated, we are willing to do whatever it uh, it takes to advance that. So um, many of us hold the value of safety and security to be a sacred, sacred value, sacred belief. And for many of us, that's activated right now. But we can, if... If a story is bent in a way that it activates a different sacred value of freedom and of, of independence, p- 
people will become willing to put themselves at risk to go protest this. So this is why it's the story of how these things are told and the values that are activated are so important. And this is the role for all of our leaders in our local communities and states and in, in the larger government to activate those core beliefs that everyone holds so sacred about you and your country and the larger story of how you fit into this. Because if you can activate that, you can get people to make these sacrifices for the greater good like Spock does or like um, like Kirk does in, in Wrath of Khan. Or as um, I'm blanking on her name, Larry, is it uh, Gillian Gilly in Jillian, Jillian Derikash? I was... Close, but so far off. Um, (laughs) In in the voyage home, um, she leaves her family. She leaves the world that she knows. She uh, all for the sake of um, not only the whales, but of all life in the future. Um, I mean, that's that's massive. So if you can tap into people's ideals, the things that they find sacred, people can be willing to do anything, and that can be used for good and bad. I was going to say, now the dark side of the coin here, there's another, uh, until we started, th- until we were looking at this in examples in these three movies, there's a case here where, of someone uh, making the ultimate sacrifice in service of a goal that they think is worth it. Yeah. But it's not exactly what we would think of as heroic. It's, right. the, it's the act that starts the entire plot of, of uh, Star Trek Three, where right. Valkris, who you find out is Cruz's lover, she looks at the Genesis tape and Cruz is like, well, then you know what you have. I mean, she basically <laughs> takes the, the poison capsule, you know. Um, he's like, well, you know what you've got to do. He doesn't say that, but it's all in the eyes and she knows. And she's on the ship that he has to blow up because they're the witness to the Genesis tape. And the, yeah. you know. But that's, there's, a, there's a complete act of old school Klingon um, yeah. you know, sacrifice there for the, for the good of the project. Not exactly what we would think was in alignment with – the greater sacred good, but she's doing her bit there. And when you see people, I'd like to know how much of this is motivated by, you know, money and ego and power, but some people intrinsically are rebelling against this greater good nonsense because whether it's because they haven't been informed of, you know, going out to protest by that, but you're not, you're not proving anything to most people except how stupid you are because you're doing the very thing that people are warning against. And then every time we hear a case of someone who intellectually protested, like they kept a a big church open or they went to one of these protests and there have been lots of victims and they always make it to the news. There have been a lot of victims Mm. um, that have died. Mm -hmm. Well, so was a minister who defied, you know, and kept his thousand person congregation going and then they find out later that he's I mean, there have been news reports. I'm not thinking anything specific, but but and then sadly, the case of the election in Wisconsin. Now mm-hmm. they have now at least 20 cases of coronavirus to people that were standing in line to vote. Talk about the greater talk about sacrificing in a lot of people's minds there. Even yeah, though it, not their idea, but they felt like they had to rise to what they disagreed with to go vote, um, and and paid the price. I don't know if anyone's died from it yet, but certainly they've contracted. So. Just like these movies and the arcs and the wrinkles, there are a lot of there are a lot of ways this whole notion of for the good of the many versus the needs of the one is playing out. And and it kind of brings us to the question of so 
during these times when we do have this impasse where people's values might be the the what they find sacred might conflict or what's been activated might conflict so um safety versus freedom um and in the case of the election um that you just mentioned in Wisconsin so how do we get over that how do we how do we work through that and that kind of leads to negotiation and what happens with different negotiations it seems like when sacred beliefs are activated the way through number one you have to understand that it's been activated and a lot of times we don't do that so for example land seems to hold a lot of sacred value in people like um, a farm that your family has owned for generations and if a company comes along and says we're going to give you all these millions of dollars for it sometimes people will say no i'm not gonna there's no there's no amount of money you can give me because my great 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 grandfather you know started a farm here and all that kind of thing right like there's this is sacred land to me um it's it's almost seen like a spit in the face when you offer money to for someone to compromise on something they seem sacred what seems to happen is you got to know that a sacred belief has been activated and number two you got to compromise on your own. So when someone is willing to compromise a bit on something that they find sacred, it makes it easier for the other person to compromise too. But I think the conflict that we're so having in 2020 is we just don't even understand each other and understand what beliefs have been activated and how they're playing out. There's so much work to be done. But I think Kirk in uh, The Search for Spock, it's a beautiful example uh, when when Spock and when they're connecting at the end and we see this play out in, in The Voyage Home too, Spock gets an awareness that Kirk has given up everything for him. He's given up everything that he has worked for his entire life to be there and save him. And so he's he's thinking about that and that's kind of what we all have to do in these situations is really understand where each other is coming from and how can we both work together and, um, and uh, to solve some of these problems. It's really tough to do that, Larry. It is very difficult. Well, I'm we as usual we've got a great chat going on here in the comments mm. and uh and our and our boy, Boyd, coming in from Twitch, he's really representing the platform. Oh, yeah. Um, I, his, his comment here at the end, and some people have kind of alluded to this also, uh, says, now we're at a crossroads with COVID-19. A growing number are tired of the shelter-in-place order, even though they started off, sure, sure, whatever. He says, we humans are naturally social beings and want to be around other people. Being at home for five-plus weeks is not easy. People are now willing to risk exposure just so they can resume some degree of normal life, yeah. which is, I mean, yeah, it's the natives are restless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like all, the, all these noble ideas, like Quark says in DS9 about, yeah, sure, these uh, humans and their creature comforts, <laughs> they can be as damn liberal as anybody, but start taking away their replicators and their, you know, whatever – and uh, they can be as honorary as a Klingon. And- yeah, and I think one of the one of the things here related to this comment is it gets back to like what we find meaningful. It's contributing to something larger than ourselves, and also being connected to people who we really care about. I think both of those things have been really cut out of a lot of our lives. That. Our careers, our work, the things that we did that really gave our life meaning, a lot of those have been limited. Mm -hmm. And the people that we are connected to, that we really love and care about, connections with those people have been limited. And 
anyone who's struggling in that situation, what I want to tell you is when you are sheltering in place, you're not helpless. You are not, um, this is not a passive act that's being forced upon you. You are putting forward the needs of the many uh, over the needs of the few or the one. In this case, you. You are engaged in this global act of altruism designed to stop this virus. You are telling this virus that you don't move if I don't move, so I'm going to stay put, so I'm going to save others' lives because maybe I'm, I don't have this virus. Maybe I'm a carrier and I don't even know it, but you know what? The more I stay at home, the more I am increasing the chances of of time, of giving our healthcare system time, the more I'm giving, uh, increasing the chances that other people are going to survive. So you are engaged in a in a massive act of altruism, the kind of which will lead to that 23rd century uh, utopian future, I think. I It almost makes me, now I'm wondering, and of course we've got a great audience here that's chatting in, and I think they're all, pretty much of a uniform mind, although and people are, are, are looking around them and reporting on what they see, the fringes. But we, I, I, in the great, even within the realm of pop culture, mm-hmm. and even in Comic-Con land, of all the franchises, people will still say that Star Trek's fandom is still the nicest. And I think that all comes <laughs> of, you know, Gene Roddenberry and Idik. And infinite diversity, infinite combinations, and the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. I mean, all the tenets of core Star Trek that attracted a fan base in the first place kind of lead to that. And uh, even within pop culture, I- I'm just curious about everybody that we have on on with us today. Um, watching, you know, how unified are we? How afraid we are? But even within fandom, there are people that have, as we've gone through some phases, people. There's still a range of political uh, beliefs within, say, Star Trek fandom. And I know a majority of the fandom is always surprised when what they might perceive as more conservative uh, people who are you know, gung-ho Star Trek fans. And maybe some of the tenets of Idic, or maybe there's a blinder going on there. And These are all topics we're going to get into mm-hmm. down the line on the show here, uh, you know, related today. But just in the reaction to the COVID crackdown and controversy i'm just curious if any of our if our viewers and listeners have had experience where in our in our little idealistic star trek world where today we're talking about sacrifice it's mm-hmm. not all just, you know we're talking about real words are there any in your star trek orbit of fandom and friends who are really chafing at the bit about this mm-hmm. and maybe <clears throat> not as willing to extend good old needs of the many as far as maybe most Star Trek fans intrinsically understand it. I'm, I'm just curious if anybody's got fellow fans that are, you know, that are in that boat too, that are in that uh, really uh, impatient, let's get out there, we've done it long enough. Mm-hmm. This has been enough sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it, it's something I've struggled with, Larry. Um, I, you know, I, uh, some of my closest friends here, I am, I'm dying to see them. IRL in real life, and uh, they've brought up the idea of what's that? You emphasize dying so strongly. Oh, well, I don't mean that. They're they're okay. Um, they they really we really want to see each other. We're we're very desperate to see each other. Um, and we've brought up ideas of well, what if we get together but we're many feet away? 
And um, that's kind of an easy one for me to say no to because I have a two-year-old who's highly predictable who might not cooperate with that. She might get so excited that she might run up to them. Who knows? But um, we're at this point where some states are beginning to have a soft opening. And I think people are... Um, it's, it's very hard to keep going here. And I have to keep reminding myself that, um, I, I'm, I'm not moving forward right now. I'm going to, I'm going to stay put in this situation. And I've got the privilege to be able to do that. Some people who are essential <laughs> workers don't. Um, but I'm, I'm feeling that tension myself of this is a point at which I want to start putting my needs forward. I want to reconnect with the people I really care about. Um, it's hard. This is a very hard, hard point in this, in this crisis. Yeah. I'm just reading some more of the, I mean, uh, some more of our chats. It got me back to when, when I first started thinking about what I could do to help. I mean, mm-hmm. in my in my entrepreneur circle, we were very much about people were like everyone. People are worried about their businesses, their income. We've seen different governments around the world, our American government and state to state. The reaction is slightly different, but we've seen people at least try to express an awareness of helping people to do the right thing, even though no one's going to be no one's whole in this. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, I was thinking about audiences out there and like the audience and some of the reasoning that led you and I. To doing life support here, I basically real. I'm coming to the point where I thought there were three audiences out here in, in a modern sense. So one, we've got people who are at home, mm-hmm. and somehow, and this is a this has even been a channel of creativity to channel some of this restlessness. People who are at home and they're still working. Either they were at home, they they work at home anyway, like I do. Mm-hmm. Or they were people who were somehow able to pivot and use technology, use our communication devices, which I keep saying over and over, if this had been 10, 15 years ago, even, we would not be maybe (laughs) as socially adjusted to doing this thanks to our technology. So yay on that. But people who are at home and working for now and still have at least the stress of the disease and the pandemic is not compounded by the stress of financial situation and comfort then we've got people that are home that don't want to be at home and they've lost income yeah and they've got no way to pivot and yep. they're in a stress from the pandemic and their financial situation and then we've got the people who are quote-unquote lucky enough to be not at home and they are going out whether they're doctors and nurses or they're truck drivers <clears throat> or they're delivery and grocery stockers or, or, or they're working in nursing homes you know, are there correctional officers working in jails? Some of the hot spots, the meatpacking plants. My God, yep. some of the hot spots we've got going. Those people who are lucky enough to have their job and lucky enough to be going into the normal world, which is not normal. Yeah. And they know in a gut level whether they're they've got their hands on sick people in a hospital, or they're bumping into people six inches away at a meat plant, or whatever. That they're very much on the front line in their own way, and they're risking it very viscerally. It's like, gosh, I wish I could be at home yeah. doing thing by Zoom, but yeah. they can't be. It's like we've got – it feels like we've got three fields, major fields of stress and worry and concern here. And so everything that I was doing was trying to um, address all of those, mm-hmm. right? And maybe the people who are stuck at home, some in a little more comfort than others, but everybody's stressed in their own way, could deal with live events and the folks who are out there who are, again – air quote, lucky, you know, to be out in it and working uh, can come home and watch things, you know, some of the 
some of the uh, programs and things I'm doing, they're live and I mean they're they're recorded, like life supports record. But to me, it kind of distilled down to those three groups. So what do you yeah. think? And, and maybe folks out here too in the chat. Yeah, no, Rebecca said uh, people who are key workers who would much rather be home and safe. And Dan said, I heard there's people who view the lockdown as a holiday. Um, it's to me. Well, Jared also said for yeah. a lot of people, the people chafing about being home and, we, and somebody said uh, people keep just generically saying people are social animals. There are a lot of people that are not social yeah. animals. Yeah, yeah. The introverts – uh, Mr. Real Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of people who are introverts and feel totally at home right now. And even to the point of saying, all you folks locked down and have the discomfort you feel, this is how th this is the reverse of the introverts who are forced to go out and be social. Yeah, there's another angle to this. Um, um, I made a video this week about um, Zoom memes and me reacting to them. And in my research for that, one of the things that I was um, a perspective I really liked was some of the frustration that people who are um, a term that's that I really like called neurotypical. So people who ha mm -hmm. tend to have a brain that's wired uh, the way most people's brains are many of them are really the non neuro neurotypical is what the normally non-pc world calls normal right 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 which i i don't i really like that word because what does that mean um but, but so i'm going to use a word that's probably a lot more technical that also people might not know what it means which is neurotypical but the um a lot of the frustrations that people who are on Zoom experience, like, who am I supposed to look at? The frustration, the, like, boredom, the distraction, the fatigue, that, that in some ways replicates the experience that people who are on the autism spectrum experience in regular life, trying to navigate social situations. So there's a lot of empathy that we can develop for some of the frustrations that we might might have here and i think that that also applies to people who are more introverted or people who are more extroverted is if you're very extroverted and you're frustrated in this situation that probably in some ways replicates the experience that some people who are more introverted might experience in these open-ended social situations so i think there's a there's so much room for us to have compassion and empathy and understanding for people who are different than us based upon the experience we're going through right now. Like if you're, if you're really frustrated by Zoom meetings, like you now have a very good understanding of what it might like, what it might be like to be on the autism spectrum and navigate an unstructured social situation. Or if you're very frustrated by, um, uh, uh, by the feeling of being at your home, if you really are craving and desiring more social attention, well, you now kind of understand how overwhelming it can be to be in a social situation and craving the comfort of your home if you're much more introverted. So there's um, massive, massive room for compassion and understanding if, if we allow ourselves to, to really um, understand those things more and have more conversations like this that we're having. Yeah. I'm, and again, everybody apologize. I, my eyes slitting off. I'm not ignoring Ali. I'm just trying to keep up with the chat here. This is uh, Scott. I'm so glad you enjoyed the meme video. Um, it, it is hard. To, 
<laughs> to do the live to do the we um so if we yeah if our eyes go off camera it's because we're trying to keep up with the comments um i love i love uh, all the comments dj welcome uh you're new here i'm glad to have you here um we got some introverts raising their hand uh scott is also raising his hand on that um uh it reminded uh sean here hey sean uh doug drexler saying uh he knows he'd be fine in isolation on a trip to mars (laughs) you know what's funny about that sean is my whole life i've always wanted to be an astronaut and then some when i was a teenager or or younger than that someone told me oh you don't have good eyesight you can't be an uh, astronaut it's not possible i don't know if that's true or not but i sort of you know i did not pursue that as a career path um the closest i got is i did a one-year internship at nasa in a psychology lab probably one of my favorite experiences in my life however uh the reason i raised that is it's clear to me that I, I am not built to be an astronaut this experience has revealed to me that i am not built for living long term in an isolated environment um it is just not no no thanks i'm good i think i'm I'm happy to be surface side (laughs) okay well so i should so i should like take back all the uh all the personal recommendations I was going to write on your behalf. Okay, I guess I'll. No, just no, 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 no. Send those in. Um, I, you know, I uh, maybe one day I can I can work with astronauts. That'd be cool. I think that would be that's my role. in, in um, well, I just I want to be I a counselor. See, I guess. I didn't know you'd done a one year <laughs> internship in the psych lab at NASA. That's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I worked with the folks who helped redesign the space shuttle cockpit in 2000. So they're trying to redesign the interfaces to reduce error and make it much easier for people, for the astronauts to see the information that they need. Um, my boss told me, I said, what, you know, what's the biggest thing you've learned from all of your research? And he said, well, the easiest way to get people's attention is to put black font on a white background. That is the, I was like, that is the biggest thing you've learned. And he's like, yeah, just remember that whenever you're making slides or information, like black on white, easiest way to pick up people's attention. Um, so, you know. Forget the red. Forget the, <laughs> forget all the googie emojis. Um, yeah. So uh, where are we? Uh, how's the counselor's log doing? Are we, I think uh, I think we should close it up. We've had a very long counselor's log. Um, I think it's it's time to close that up. Um, why don't we head into the K three factor, Larry? Oh, I knew you were going to get to the K three factor. Um, here's oh no, I've got a great one for the K three factor. So the K three factor, guys, is the deep cut for the original series because we first started to do thought of our our life support live here and our format in our. Um, you know, our way, uh, our, our briefing room, away mission, counselor's log format. And, uh, and I hate to break it to you again, but my doctor of trechology does not extend <laughs> to quite the, the scope that Ali's actual PhD does. He's the real doctor, in other words. But I want to make sure I could bring to the conversation here my, my half of the show. And so uh, as we were scoping around, there's not a lot of medical iconography from the original series beyond, you know, the Red Cross patch that Chapel and the nurses wear or the shape of a hypo, say, or something or the shape of a med scanner, which are kind of clunky to you. But um, it's a little known fact that on the biomedical scan, there's there's, you know, blood, all the famous floaty 
you know, the, the pulsing pulse and respiration and the temperature scale and all that. But there's one, one, uh, one of the six vertical scales mentioned, uh, labeled K3 indicator and actually gets called out in dialogue once. Chapel says something about, oh, doctor, his K3 indicator is falling, meaning a brain, a measure of brain activity. It's one of the few cases besides psychotricorder that, um, that that happens, that goes to. So the K3 factor here, guys, is where the real. Oh, no. Larry, we got you. We got you. We got, we got you. some uh, subspace interference for a moment, but we're, we're back subspace, on. Some subscypal interference is what that <laughs> is. Um, no, so K3 factor is the one, one thing we can cling to from the original series. So here's my for our theme here of um, – of sacrifice, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one of the few. I hinted at it earlier, but in making the Wrath of Khan, the clock is ticking. People, all eyeballs are on this, recovering from financially as a, as a situation, recovering from, are we still connected? We're still connected. I hear you. Oh, okay. I seem like I'm maybe frozen on the picture, but I'm just We're checking. good. So, okay. Bottom line here, Wrath of Khan is going to be made – Nick Meyer comes in, not invested at all at Star Trek. He has to do some research to get up on the characters, but he brings a fresh eye. He sits down. He sees the five, yes, count them, five different stories and scripts that have been commissioned and paid for, hopefully, in service to this movie. They None of them really click. They're starting to get desperate. Hart Bennett is starting to get desperate. Nick Meyer just goes home, takes the five scripts, pulls the best elements out of all of them, and just says, here, damn it. He's hired to be a director. He is not hired to be a writer, mm-hmm. although he's written, obviously, wrote 7% solution. He comes back. He goes, here, bang. The script he throws down is 90 95% of what we see on screen as the final product, whether by his own – Paramount saying, okay, but we're not paying you for a writing credit. The Writers Guild having rules about all these people and their submissions and their elements being used in the final product. One of them finally does get screen credit. But through all of that, does Nick Meyer (laughs) say, nope, damn it, I'm not proceeding with this project until I get full credit for the script? No. He goes, fine. Let's just get it done. I'll direct the Uh damn thing. I'll take, you know. So here's Nick Meyer in service of the greater product. Totally willing to subvert his writing credit. Without his script, there would be no Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. There would be no project, much less our memory of it. So there's a case in hmm. real life, one putting the good of the many ahead of the good of the few or the one, and waiting years before people really got the full story, 10, 20 years before people really got the real story. There's that statute of limitations in Hollywood, same thing in politics. <laughs> where, where all the you want to call it a dirty story or dirty linen, or sometimes we just might call it the truth. But you know, people, I'm I'm on my deathbed. I'm writing my tell-all book. Mm. Well, maybe those are dressed up a little bit. But there's this cycle where people are willing to talk about the unpopular or the uh, the uh, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But it was real life, and eventually it comes out. It's just not in the moment when it can be manipulated for PR. But here's a case of Nick Meyer, uh, totally pulling one for the good of the many and the few or the good of the many versus the good of the one, his own ego and his own uh, career. He had enough. He had enough. He didn't need it. I love that. I had no idea about that. I I had no idea at all. Um, There's always these new elements of 
uh, Trek lore that I, I learned from you, Larry, every time we do one of these. Uh, so I really, I really appreciate that. Well, gosh, Ali, you should listen to the Trek files. <laughs> I, sh- I, I should. I should. Or get into Portal. <laughs> what is... Um, What's so cool about that fact, too, is it gets at how uh, film and TV is made. There is no one person that makes any of these projects possible. Film and TV is such a product of so many people putting the needs of the project ahead of their own. Like Whether it's uh, the cast, the talent on screen, like the amount of hours a day that they have to spend learning their lines, practicing one scene over and over and over again – to craft services who are this invisible force that need to beam in, have uh, feed and nourish hundreds of people and like beam out, like not cause any pro- problems to the gaffers, to people who are lighting sets, operating mm-hmm. the cameras. If you've ever been on a set, it is, um, as Larry, you and I both have in different, very different situations, I might add, but um, it's, it's a massive team. Like what I find so beautiful about every production is it is like a crew, quite literally a starship crew coming together. Everyone has their job and their role and they all like an orchestra have to work perfectly together to create this product. Um, so the fact that um, Nick Meyer was like, let's make the thing. I don't need this credit. Let's get it done. That's a that's an example of what the best crews when they come together, both in Star Trek and as well as in making Star Trek. That's that's a beautiful example of how it gets done is people putting the needs of the project a, ahead of their own and working together to to get it going. Yeah, I'm and I'm looking at the chat again and Johannes, who's joining us from Finland and who's been in my or he's been a Portales in the past and. Uh, Islam, he's he's a big uh, researcher, uh, archivist in all things NASA and real mm. space flight. We're talking here, it's the exact same thing. The astronauts get all the front credit, just mm. like stars in production. It's that huge NASA and vendor yeah. support team behind every space mission or every long-term project. Yeah. The astronauts, the, the, the glory kids, the, the, the stars of the show that depend on directors, writers, yeah. craft service, the gaffers. I mean, everybody behind them to make them look good. To make them look good, but also they look good because the mission goes well. Yeah, and when exactly. it doesn't look good, like Apollo 13, they're the ones that save their Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's also the capacity for reinvention on the fly. And, and if we have a rational grounding, even when things go, oh, take this as a metaphor. Maybe you can use it in your career, Ollie. <laughs> when things go wrong, if we have a basis in fact and rationality, we can still course correct. Ooh. To, uh, <laughs> to to do the right thing or to at least salvage the the best options out of a situation, yeah. right? depending on how good our – even when things don't go by the book. I, uh, Johannes, I'd love your take if you've read um, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth, I believe is the name of the book. It was a memoir. Um, I'm blanking the name of the astronaut right now. But oh, he goes into large detail about how um, how it's a large team effort. Everything that happens in space, it's it's everyone working together to make it happen. And when astronauts return to Earth, their main job is to train other astronauts and to work together to support them. So it's it's a beautiful example of how real space flight actually works. And um, in many ways, I think it's related to how Star Trek works, these, um, these mm-hmm. large teams coming together. Uh, Larry, I've got a very quick away mission for us today. Um, okay. 
Okay. Let's let's hop into um into the away mission briefing. I don't know whatever it's going to be. So away mission. This is where there is a, a takeaway that you can apply to your life right now in navigating this uncertain time. And there's a there's a lot of exercises here that can help people to get connected with meaning and purpose. And we know when people are burnt out, they're really struggling. One of the things that we try to do is help people to reconnect with what is meaningful in their life. Um, and there's this idea, let me see if I can if I can pull it up from um, uh, Victor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning is like the required text when it comes to this. I, I feel like now every week I'm giving people like book assignments to last week it was Sapiens, this week it's Man's Search for <laughs> Meaning. But there's... Um, books, my boy, books. Yes, more books. We all need more books. Uh, but there's... Um, there's a quote, uh, not from Man's Search for Meaning, but from another psychologist um, who talks about meaning where he says, crisis are a chance for people to give up dead wood, toxic habits or patterns, and explore what they tr- who they truly are and what really matters in life. And so this is the away mission I have for everyone is to think about what would you blow up the enterprise for? as without any people inside like 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 kirk does in the search for spock when he blows up the enterprise and everything that led him to that moment he is sacrificing his career the things he's worked for everything he's done from the original series to the motion picture to now the 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 thing he loved so much the ship the enterprise he's blowing it all up because of his love for his friend. Um, what is it in your life that is worth so much, that means so much to you, that you would blow up the enterprise? You know, it's, it's not just the big things like our careers and, and all of that, but it can be the small things too, like who it is around you in the community, um, your family, walking your dog. What are the things that mean so much to you that you would give up so much for them? So to think about that and then how can you serve those things right now? Whether it's uh, the people in your life that you really care about, how can you serve them right now? Um, it, this was something that this life support is very meaningful to me and it's it's why we launched it larry is we thought okay these things that you and i love can we use this in a way to help people can we can we use it to help each other to start these important conversations so what is it that you would blow up the enterprise for and and how can you serve that right now you're asking me yeah, I'm asking everyone, um, oh, okay. or or I'm encouraging everyone <laughs> it's a, it's a deep, <laughs> to think um, about that. Because I hated that moment in Star Trek Three. Oh, I really? Because I, I said, no, this is just a cinematic excuse. You've always saved the Enterprise. You just want something for a big screen moment. So they hate that model. So they're going to get rid of it. They're going to build a new model. No, I was very um, meta angry at that moment. So I, I, I didn't see it as a that. wonderful sacrifice that had all this meaning at all. I was just like, oh, you're too lazy to get the plot resolved <laughs> without that big cinematic. Ooh, we killed Spock in two. We're going to kill the Enterprise in this one. I Yeah. Every movie, we got to kill something new. So, yeah, it's uh, so I, I could definitely see that perspective. Um, so more metaphorically for you, Larry, then I guess oh. to think about like, um, you know, I, I, 
here's where my mind is going yeah. to. I think Picard's line about the line must be drawn. Yeah, no father. Yeah. We love to parody that line, but he's talking about fighting the Borg. Yeah. And, and of course, um, her advice back at him is like, this is a chance. This is a time you're going to do the be- You're going to fight the be- better fight by letting go and not holding fast. But then in Insurrection, he does pull a pre-Picard series. People people are forgetting this, that the Picard series is all about him going rogue when he had to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do what was right. <laughs> Talk about the good of the many and, and the whole synth ban and Data's memory and all of that, the good of the – but he did the same thing in Insurrection. You know, he put his career on the line and went rogue, took his pips off. They love that metaphor. Mm-hmm. I'm taking the pip off, pips off, y'all. This is off the books. I'm going rogue to go save the the Baku. Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean, there's there's talk about other cases of self sacrifice in Star Trek, but uh, and there's episodic cases too. So um, I don't know. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna dwell on this for real. Yeah, long, that, that's not a quick for- answer thing. Um, but it's if you're trying to tap into the uh, the needs of the many for yourself, think about that. Like what what is it that you would give up your career in Starfleet for? What is it that uh, what are the things that really matter to you that you would you would sacrifice so much for? Um, and, you know, how can you how can you stay connected to those things right now? How can you how can you serve these things that are going to live on long and prosper after we might be gone? Hopefully, right, yeah. right. Things oh, I don't know, like if maybe your spouse or significant other has to make a huge career move, and you, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and you give up part of what you're doing to be able to, you know, sometimes it's it's not necessarily a crisis. Sometimes it's more um, it's more aspirational, mm-hmm. or someone in your workplace that is being, you know, or someone in school is being bullied, mm-hmm. and you stand up for them. And then you take the slings and arrows. Yes. Yeah. Right. So you're you're in your mind you're trying to uh, stand up for the needs of the few or the one there, versus maybe the many. Or you're a person. I'm watching on the news. You're a person who's um, working in a meatpacking plant, and the the owners are not taking good care of the workers. And someone stands up and exposes that to the media to get the word out because it's being covered up. Yep. Yep. Right. Somebody pulls a Norma Ray, or they pull a. Um, what's her, uh, uh, Brockovich. Aaron Brockovich, um, yep. Aaron Brockovich. They pull, uh, you know, it's the whistleblower that pulls it at risk to themselves yeah. to support either their workmates or even something greater, like, oh, yeah. I don't know, the whole country. Right, So right. Um, Dan mentioned that uh, not only the Enterprise, but also David killed off in Star Trek Three. both close aspects to Kirk, and the decision to de- destroy the Enterprise could be seen as him being emotionally inflicted by the death of his own son. My God, Bones, what have I done? Um, what you always do, uh, turn death into, oh gosh, Larry, what's the line? Turn death into a... Uh, chance to live something yeah like that. gosh um i love that moment larry um you know what though i had the pleasure of seeing those back to back on vhs that's the way i experienced those so it's it, it kind of hit me in a very different way uh, <laughs> <laughs> so with that um i think we want to open up the hailing frequencies here and yeah. we want we want to talk to folks um if you want to join us on mission log live uh, send us a message at Life Support Host on Skype, and we'd love to get you on the show. Um, we'd love to see your comments. We'd love to see you. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to see your comments. And while we're also uh, waiting for those to come in, 
Larry, next week, we, we need to get a vote going on our Facebook group. That is how we decided to do this. Um, we had a poll. Um, so where can people find our poll for next week's episode? So the poll is on, is on, um, <clears throat> It's on the live support. Yes, you have to join the, the Facebook page, Life Support Live, and we'll put the poll up. We had three or four answers, but I designed it where people can offer their own options. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll have a groundswell, or maybe we'll, we'll have something to offer as a given option in coming weeks. But yes, we had a poll this week, and it wasn't, it wasn't a runaway. It was, a, it was, a, you know, 16 here and 12 or 13 over here. But we, this week's theme, the needs of the many, uh, Barkley. And anxiety is another uh, – we've had kind of broad topics here. That's not to negate the fact that we can focus on a character mm-hmm. or a species or a planet. I mean we can we can take any example out of Star Trek and have fun with it and, and I think pull lessons, um, you know, a new, a new way of looking at things. And then maybe uh, what I love about Star Trek is it's, it's still popular because people obviously find something worthwhile in it. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about my mother the car here. Or something from, or me and the chimp. I mean, we're talking about something that intrinsically, organically has kept, no one's astroturf Star Trek for 54 years. No one paid people to like it for years, right? So people are still finding the good. There's still new being made based on the original. So, um, so those are the kinds of things that if, if it's that, if it's that alive for people in their lives, then I think it's, it's perfect for us to mine today. Besides. You know, we love the trivia and the backgrounding and all that, and, and, and but what comes out of the writing? I said before, I love doing Life Support Live because for once I feel like I get to talk about all those core values of Star Trek that when we get off on the on the behind the scenes or the canon, the background trivia, all that, that where I've kind of lived because it's okay, and I, I feel good about this because I feel like I'm getting back to the roots of what uh, what Trek is that I kind of like. Well, yeah, in bypassed years ago. So, um, but yeah, so all of those are there. Go to the original question. I know. Go to <laughs> our life support live page, and we'll vote. I will. Yeah. I'll bring back the Barkley. Uh, yeah, question. I think Barkley should be back. I think Voyager and oh, isolation and loneliness. Isolation yeah. and loneliness. The other one, Larry. I, I know you and I are itching to this, and we keep hinting, we keep touching it here and there. This issue of fandom. Uh, social t- okay social distance yeah Ooh, ooh. do we have a recommendation <laughs> uh, oh of social we, yeah we've had we've had comments about fandom and social distancing right now in the comments but yes 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 um all that and you know what i even hesitate to we've we've talked about different aspects within just a broad fandom uh online online a- etiquette and bullying and gatekeeping and all kinds of things within fandom so we'll We'll start there. We'll yeah. see. We can we can break down. And we'd love to take your requests too. If there's, um, you know, there's so much to explore. I'd, I'd love to get to Star Trek Enterprise at some point. Um, Star Trek Discovery. Um, there's there's so many aspects to this, and um, gosh, there's yeah, so many directions to go into um, with all of that. But if um, anyone has, if anyone wants to join us. So here's We'd the thing, guys. Uh, we're a little worried about our Skype connection for dialing in. Yeah. One, the first week, get in. So you can, if you go to Life Support Host and join us and find us, can't people text us? That's what you were saying. Yep. You want people to text and say, I'm in there. So yeah. in case you can't break right through, we can reach out from our side. 
Yeah. And if anyone is trying to reach us and is unable to, please comment and let us know. This is something that, um, we've been, we've been wondering about if, if people are able to get through. So if you can't get through, please, please do let us know and we will, uh, we'll work to, uh, ameliorate, ameliorate the situation. Now I'm making up words. I don't know. Oh, no, no. That was, that was, wasn't she like a social worker in the 1890s? Amelia Rate. No, okay. Um, while people are doing that, just. Oh, Dan says, I've tried but no reply. Um, Dan, can you, um, can you give us your, um, can you just comment with what your, um, your Skype name is? And we'll send you, um, a request. Hopefully we can get you on. Well, the, and meanwhile, the message thread is just, uh, He's just running away with good stuff here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one point, uh, Johannes said something about the fuel low light, which came in Apollo 11, almost could have killed the landing, the first landing, when Neil ran the, had to find a good space to land. He said they intentionally only made it a silent flashing light and didn't attach an audio alarm because they didn't want to freak even the well trained astronauts out in a, in a, but we've got other people. So, um, and I'm going to apologize on, uh, pronunciation, but, uh, it, it, it bad white English would be divjot. So I'm not sure how um, Mr. Batra here how to pronounce it. But he says he's currently in high school pursuing comment, uh, commerce for his bachelor's. Should he pick psychology as he wants to become an entrepreneur and understand the people around it? Will it help in that? Hmm, that's a really great question, and um, it can definitely help you in that. Um, I would say if you're pursuing business, what you might want to do is pursue business as the primary degree because in psychology, you don't get a lot of training in the business aspects of or of how to run a business. You're not going to get that in psychology. You will get the human behavioral aspect to it, how people think, all of those kind of things. Um, but maybe take some of those classes on the side. If you can mind in it, get intro psych and get social psych probably definitely, and then talk to those professors and ask them more questions about how do I get more experience with business psychology. There's a whole field of psychology called IO psychology, which is much more about how teams work together. But then there's also consumer psychology, which is more about like messaging and advertising. So there's a lot of areas to explore. I would say if you want to be an entrepreneur, Pursue business, take some psychology on the side, talk to those professors, and see how you can how you can find out more. That would be great. Uh, a lot of case, uh, so Sean saying, reminding me as we saw in the right stuff when they built the first space capsule, the Mercury capsule, they didn't have a window in it until the astronauts said, "Where's the window?" And that seems like insane today, but uh, talking about the human factor there, um, we think Rebecca's saying the book we mentioned, uh, "Astronauts Guide to Earth," was it? Is Chris Hadfield? Yeah, Chris Hadfield, that's the one. There we go. There we go. There's uh, Rose has been um thank you Rose for all of your comments. Your comments have really been fantastic. Um mentioning uh Deep Space 9 season 7 episodes 25 26 what we left behind um um so much happened in that finale there's so much we could explore gosh we would lo- if you let me rose i will talk all day about deep space nine <laughs> um with you but uh yeah fantastic fantastic episode i love the interaction that we've had here for uh yeah. 
for everybody coming in. Um, and and Boyd on Twitch is still with us. He's, yes, uh, messaging in. Yay! Uh, someday our Twitch audience is going to double, and it will be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's one. Uh, <laughs> Uh, from YouTube, Pan Con Queso Migusta uh, just says, "Is well, I don't know where you're coming from exactly with this. Just has does money equal love, which is a little out of the." Uh, well, if I had to summarize what we know about the psychology of money, it's it's important up to a point. It does give you. It does give happiness up to a point where you are able to pay for the essentials that you need. After that, there's some diminishing returns on more money equaling more happiness. But what we know is money also buys you better health care and better food, things that we know are important for long-term happiness. So does money equal love? Um, money does equal stability access care to a degree in our system in our system in the way in the way society works right now yeah yeah in our not yeah uh here's i'm I'm scrolling backwards i wanted to give a shout out to libby smith here she wrote in and said she's not in a trek specific when we were talking about is anyone in your in your trek circle or your sci-fi circle uh coming up with the opinion of it's time to reopen and and they don't they think enough's enough um, and their, their, their spectrum on the self-sacrificing stay at home is about done. And she said she's not in a Trek specific group right now, but she hasn't, she hasn't encountered anybody risking it. Yes, we want to see each other in person in a bad way, but we don't want to risk each other's safety, which is what everyone's more or less echoing here. Um, but you know, she, and she's commenting all the convention. I was curious about this and a lot of the conventions in our orbit here in our sci-fi and Trek orbit, a lot of the big event conventions are going down one by one by one. And some of them are tied up in, in legalese, in force majeure and all that kind of thing, penalty phases. And they don't want to go bankrupt to some venue that's holding them all onto it until they're governmentally ordered that they can't meet. But for the most part, so many of them are going away and a lot of them are getting creative and having virtual replacements. That's where we started. This originally began as a panel uh, life support began as a panel for WonderCon that went away, and we decided to keep it alive. Um, so that's it. You know, we're getting back to what you're talking about the Zoom meetings. That's um, it, we will be different coming out of this. I talked about this on Tuesday, Trekland Tuesdays Live this week. Is that we will be different about this? Hopefully, we take away and and, and the pandemic and responses ripped the bandaid off for things good and bad socially. Right? We've, we're finding all the weak spots in our economy and social structure that are have been ripped raw by this and so many things that we care about are absolutely meaningless now in the middle of a pandemic Mm -hmm. and and it's a great equalizer. the virus does not care about class or previous income or what your job is whether you're a brain surgeon or you're a delivery kid bringing you know meals out to people you're keeping people alive and you're keeping a restaurant alive and hopefully you're staying alive and hopefully you're being taken care of for your own risk I mean, looking at society in so many different ways that way and um, also coming out of it will be how we deal with this virtual. It won't virtual won't just be for businesses and, you know, at home coaches and things with so much of the population exposed to this and people may be finding their discomfort factor and either learning from it or not learning from it. But anyway, we're going to be a different society 
after this. And, um, and it'll be interesting to see conventions and big events. And does any of this stick and go forward? And does it alter the way we look at live events? Or do we cherish our live moments now much Le- more? Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I, what I've really been enjoying is how different each conversation has been uh, week to week. Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Alimatu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nimichek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the psych show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs>